are back to talk about Thrones. Let's talk about Thrones. And I am here this time with my friend, Sir Anthony of Where Are You From These Days. I'm going to claim Bravos this time. Why not? Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you're from Bravos, and uh, the the uh, the other guest is. Oh wait, there is nobody else here. We are unfortunately without, without our yeah. friend Jenny. So what Sans are we calling Jenny. her? The faceless lady? Yeah, something like that. Although it should uh, still be a faceless man, though, right? Because they're all faceless men. Because it's a misogynistic culture. I anyway, really just don't understand that whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing is so confusing to me, but we will get to that. Yeah. So we are talking about episode 605, The Door. Mm. And episode 606, I just got that. And as I, as I read it, and episode 606, Blood of My Blood. Let's yes. start. What do you want to start with? Do you want to start with... Um, let's start with the door. Yeah, let's start with the door. Yeah. So we are back under the tree. Mm-hmm. Actually, we're not back under the tree, are we? Yeah, we are. But uh, Bran is in his little never-never land, and he's having more visions, mm-hmm. and... Man, it seems like we had a lot of these. But in this particular vision, he learns something. He learns that the girls that have been helping to protect him Mm -hmm. actually created the White Walkers to protect themselves from humans. Yeah, it's it's an analogy like um, uh, nuclear weapons. They created the ultimate weapon to defend themselves, which can then be used against them. So, yeah. Um, and it's an interesting scene. Once again, we, we find that the spirals, the spirals that I keep telling you about, and now you know kind of this is like the anchor point for all the spirals we've been seeing this whole time, even back yeah. to the, the intro to episode one. Yeah, it seems like force symbolism, quite frankly. Yeah, it's it's not it's not very fluid. Uh, there's, there's more details to be added to it, but yeah, it's... Um, and in the middle of the weirwood tree and then uh, strapped to the weirwood tree is a dude and shoved into this dude's heart is Dragonglass, a.k.a. Obsidian. And his eyes turn blue and that's quite a revelation. Uh, Bran faces the, 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 was it Leaf, Leaf, I think is her name, in the cave and says, you created them. And she starts to explain, well, yeah, because we were being hunted by you, by the men. Um... And then, yeah, she's pretty nonchalant about it. You'd think she'd be a little bit more upset. I don't know. (laughs) Like, maybe this realization that, hmm, maybe that wasn't such a good idea after all. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to figure, though, this is is something that she's known for a while. And since Bran got there, she probably knew that he would know that that happened eventually. So she's probably been bracing for it, and she wanted to brush it off kind of... I don't. I don't know. I get a lot of mixed emotions from her character at this time. It's, it's like, there's like wonder and anger and sadness, like all wrapped in one. But it's not. It's not done all that great. This yeah, is, this I'm is one of my not least overly favorite impressed with this. And so you know, we're going to run through a couple things here because there's some really cool stuff here and there's some eh stuff here. But mm-hmm. in another vision, Bran then sees the White Walkers, and in his vision. They see him. Right. The Night King actually reaches out and touches somebody. Touches <laughs> him. Yeah. And this, this vision was done without the Three-Eyed Raven. The Three-Eyed Raven was sleeping and Bran tried to sneak away and and kind of, you know, see a little bit more than what the Three-Eyed Raven was showing him. And now, because of this this mark that the Night King has put on Bran's arm... Now the Night King knows where he is, and he can get in. Now, how many stories are there exactly in the history of humankind about someone veering from the advice of their mentor and it going badly? I mean... All of them. Do we just never learn this lesson in literature? (laughs) Pretty much all of them. It it always goes bad. (laughs) 
And yeah, yeah. So this brings in the next state of events where um the three eyed raven tells Bran, um, yeah, he's on his way now. He'll be here. Yeah. So you need to learn. And Bran says, Learn what? And the three eyed raven says, Everything. <laughs> and now if you've ever seen the TV show Chuck now is the Chuck scene where yeah, okay. all the knowledge just goes flooding into his head. The three-eyed raven is basically just shoving as much into Bran's brain as possible. And oh, okay. I was like, where is this parallel? All right. Yeah. And uh, it's, 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 yeah, Bran can't take it. <laughs> no, it's a little bit more than he expects. But don't they get interrupted? Well, sort of. Right, because Brandon and the Three Eyed Raven are in this. In, they're warging. They're doing their trance. They're doing whatever. They're riding the weirwood net, and the the White Walkers come. And it's pretty interesting at one point that the the children of the forest like fire up. They, they're throwing their little grenades at them and knocking a few of them off here and there. They they don't aim very good. No, because they really clearly missed the one person. Thing. Yeah, they clearly missed the one person they really want to get. Um, then they set fire to the entrance, like in a ring of fire, and some of the 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 wraiths or whatever they go through, and they they hit the flame and blow up and stuff, and it's really cool. Okay, cool. Well, the Night King comes walking through and just basically waves the flames aside, like these petty little flames. Get this out of here. Yeah, this this doesn't stop me. <laughs> This is ridiculous. Like, I mean, it was almost as if, then why the theater? Like, why? Well, I, what's interesting is that the others were still holding back at this point, right? Yeah. And what, what I, what I did like about this scene is it was another one of those World War Z like scenes where the tree is just swarmed yep. with White Walkers. Yeah, completely. And they're just, they're going everywhere. And even once they finally get inside, they're going along the root, the ceilings of the, of the cave. And it's, it's pretty nuts. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So that doesn't end well for the three eyed raven. <laughs> uh, well, it, it almost seems like it's going to, right? You're, you're giving like this slightest little hint. That uh, that everybody's going to escape and it's all going to be fine. Then you realize the three-eyed raven's kind of he's grown into the tree. Remember, so he's not going anywhere. No. And as Mira, Jojen, and Leaf are, or Mira, um, Bran, and Leaf, and Hodor are escaping out the back room. Which I mean, why didn't we just know there was a back room this whole time? <laughs> uh, they're escaping down this this exceptionally long hallway uh, in the caves to a door, to an actual like physical door, not like a rock slammed in front of a hole, but like a door with door hinges anyway, but uh, made out of tree. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of the weirwoods and yep. they're, they're going through and they're trying to escape. The night King finds the three eyed Raven and it doesn't end well for the three eyed Raven. Nope. Doesn't end well. And then the wolf attacks. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't go well for the wolf. No, but he, he does essentially sacrifice himself to give every, everyone else another, an extra 10 seconds. And speaking of sacrificing themselves, let's, uh, let's just follow that theme for a while because okay. what we have. So, so Bran and the three head Raven are in a vision of, Winterfell back when uh, Ned Stark was a child mm -hmm. and Willis is there, AKA Hodor. And at one point Hodor, well, well at one point the three Raven looks at Bran and says they're here and then disappears into a, a, a cloud of smoke, uh, like almost ink and water um, as the night King disperses of him. So now the three-eyed raven just disappears from the vision. Bran is still stuck in the vision. And as there, as Mira and Hodor, Bran, and I believe Leaf was already dispatched at this point. Um, as they're going through the door, they can't get it open. Hodor can't get it open. He finally gets it open and gets everybody through. Mira grabs Bran, starts dragging him along, and tells Hodor to hold the door. 
Right. Yelling at him, hold the door, hold the door. And then we go back to the vision. In the vision, Willis starts spazzing out. And in the vision, you also have the you, in the vision itself, you also have Bran telling uh I can't even Willis. remember his real human name. Willis. Willis hold the door. He's telling him this in the vision, yep. as well as them yelling at it, yelling this at him in real life as they're trying to escape. Mm-hmm. And he basically starts repeating it and kind of ends up getting... He's kind just, of in a seizure. Like, he, he, yeah. can't, he, he can't handle it. And Hold the Door ends up getting short, shortened to Hodor. Hodor. And door. that'd be the only thing he would ever say for the rest of his life. Because as uh, as Christian Narn, the guy that plays Hodor, adult Hodor, is holding the door and um, doing so very well. The the, yeah. the, the the wraiths are smashing through the door and grabbing him, grasping at him, tearing him up to pieces. And he successfully holds the door long enough for Mira and Bran to fade off into the snow. Yeah. Yeah. So you get the so, origin story and the death at the same time. Like right. parallel with each other. That's it's a lot. It's really a lot. And I think the first time I watched this episode, I didn't really even get the I was still so amazed at how Hodor became Hodor that I didn't stop to think, "Oh, Hodor is no more no more Hodor." No more, no, no more Hodor. I, I title. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'm wow. I this scene really got to me. I think of these two episodes, this is the scene that really sticks with me for so many reasons. Because we just learned about Willis. We just learned about his childhood and him being able to speak. He was, he was a normal we, big kid. Yeah. yeah. The, and that people basically made fun of and he, he wasn't necessarily a, you know, like a, a, he was an out, he wasn't an outcast, but he wasn't kind of, you know, part of the general ring of friends and so forth. Right. And, so then you see his, you know, we know him now kind of also as an outcast, but basically created by Bran. Yes. And that that's a very interesting issue when you come to the time parallax. Like, how does how, how do things in the future affect things in the past at the same time that the future is happening in different? Like, it, it gets kind of crazy. And you, you it's a paradox. It's it's yeah. a classic time paradox. And, uh, and uh, you know, it, there are many stories that try to veer away from that because it's it's unexplainable. Yeah. <laughs> and here they just eat it. They just go full force into it and smash it in your face. And, and it, it's done spectacularly. Um, yeah. as, as many problems as I have with this, you know, the cave structure and, and Leaf's portrayal of emotion, I still think that this scene in total is just amazing. It's really, really done well. That absolutely is. And this is, in fact, what they use to end the episode, The Door. Mm-hmm. So that's not the end of their story though of course because in 606 they're continuing to try to escape yes and it's not looking good for them no uh brian brian is still stuck in visions he's still out in out in the in the foggy eyed world and yep. mira is just dragging him as hard as she can and she's she's losing it she's losing strength she's losing willpower it's cold yeah they're about to give up, or she seems like she's about to give up anyway. Mm-hmm. And Bran wakes up, and then some random cloaked person on horseback comes and protects them from the walkers. Yes, that and that is how it is portrayed at the beginning. Right. Yeah, he just rides in and just starts 
kicking ass and uh, gets them to safety. And no one knows who, the, who he is until later. Until the end of the episode where we learn that the savior was his uncle. Benjamin Stark, the first ranger, the one that went missing that caused John to want to go north of the wall to go find him and all the things. And he relays the story of being caught by the White Walkers. And the children of the forest saved him the same way they, they um, start the first the same way they created the first White Walker. With uh, Dragon Glass in the heart, which puts Benjamin Stark in this kind of pseudo, is he alive? Is he, is he like, is becoming the Night King a, a transformative thing that takes time? And right. he's in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, or, or is he like, weird. is he like 2.0? Like they've, re, you know, f- fixed the process. I mean, what's going on? So we, we just don't know. Nope. Um, nope. It was a, it was a great callback to season one though. Cause the last time we saw Benjamin Stark was episode one or two of the first season. So of course I don't remember him at all. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and, that, and that's kind of the, uh, uh, that's probably how it's going to be in the books too, is he, cause he's been gone for so long. However, in the books, they've mentioned him several times in the meantime. So, you know, the smaller conversations that they'll have in the books that they don't have in the TV show, the, uh, John will mention, you know, my uncle Benjamin and this and that. So it kind of keeps it a little more fresh in your mind. Yep. But, yep. Thus ends the longest and probably most significant story of these two episodes together. Well, clearly, clearly the most significant because of the visions that Bran was having and the definition of Hodor. But yeah, right. But we have a lot of other random stuff going on, and we'll kind of run through that. I want to start with Arya uh, just to kind of Ooh, get yes. that out of the way. Mm-hmm. So a girl is still getting beaten by a bully. <laughs> that not inaccurate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, she's playing the game of faces in 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 Bravos, where basically she has to lie. Um, she has to learn to defend herself using an uncomfortable weapon. She's still getting beat by the waif, which is this name that Arya gives her in the books. The waif. Okay, so she is tasked with killing another person. Yes, this is another another of her trials. Um, and in an interesting twist, uh, we learn that she's actually tasked with killing the woman who is playing Cersei yeah. in a play about her life and her father's fate. Yes. Yes. It, it, well, it's it's about the Civil War in, in Westeros, and her father plays a central role, and Arya is she cannot hide her disgust at certain things, and she's genuinely laughing at other points. But when it comes to the betrayal, the portrayal of her father um, and Joffrey and Cersei, man, she just she can't. She's not happy with it. So she's she's supposed no. to kill this lead actress lady that's playing Cersei, and she gets to know them a little bit by hanging out and learning about her victim. And she basically yep. finds out, though, well, I know who's trying to kill her. It's this younger actress that's jealous of her. <laughs> huh. Isn't that an interesting twist? Also, uh, for some unknown reason, we have a, a, a really, frankly, totally unnecessary and gratuitous close-up penis on camera. And I just don't understand what the point of that was. Yeah, um, uh, penis plus plus. So. <laughs> <laughs> were the pluses the two warts that he had uh, that they were talking about? I, like, come on, really? We're talking about penal warts? Yeah, I, I was I, I was referring to the uh, to to plus plus being the the code for increase by one. But yes. <laughs> Yeah, this is a, and I mean, for the same thing, they have just random boobs flying through this episode too. It's like they were like, well, we've been, we've been square for too long. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're backstage and people are changing, obviously. Yeah. But it just seems like so out of nowhere and 
for just absolutely no good reason. Yeah. But in any event, uh, this story continues and she goes back at some point and sees more of the players mm. and actually kind of gets to, like you said, gets to know them a little bit, goes and plants poison in the goblet that the woman playing Cersei would be drinking from. And then at the last minute, knocks it away from her. Yep. And I think this is when she realizes, like, what's she... Is is she fair? Is she just? Is this how the world works? She's kind of questioning all those things. And as she knocks the glass away, who's there to witness this but the waif? Of course. <laughs> of course. So. So Arya wisely, I believe, runs and grabs Needle. Yes. Um, Not so much just a girl with no name anymore. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, this is why they have trials, right? This is why they have tests. Mm -hmm. And if you can't pass it, well, you have a price to pay. And that's what uh, Jakin Hagar tells the waif. Um, go find Arya either. Uh, um, well, he tells, he tells Arya that either way, uh, after this trial, a face will be added to the wall, meaning either Arya's face or, um, the actress's face. And well, Arya tries to choose neither and that's going to, that's not going to go very well with the house of black and white. Well, right. But she chooses that I believe because she knows that, she is now in trouble. And so she's going to need to be able to, to defend herself. Yep. But we'll have to tune in later on that because they'll, that's the last of what we hear of there. Yeah. Yep. And, <sighs> and I, okay. I, I think it's interesting that the first trial she had was with the, the insurance salesman on the, on the ships when um, one, of her, one of the people on her list walks by. So that's a trial of her new, new new life versus her old life. And she chose her old life. And then in this one, the actress happens to be a woman playing Cersei, which causes Arya to see this play several times, which again, it's her new life or her old life. And she once again, chooses her old life. Mm-hmm. So. Making this whole house of black and white diversion seem more and more annoying, quite frankly, Mm. because it's starting to seem more and more irrelevant in the longer story arc, but we'll have to see. It it does pay off. So at least have a hold a little bit of faith. All right. All right. (laughs) I will. That's fine. Okay. So uh, let's go to the Ironlands. Okay. Because this is short. It is. Basically, when we were last there, we saw that Euron had killed... Balon. Balon, I could never remember his name. Yeah. I always just called him Yara and Theon's obnoxious father. <laughs> well, Euron is his his uh, his younger brother. brother. Yeah, his younger brother. Right. Uh, he, he's returned. He throws Balon off the, off the rope bridge. And here we are. So now it is time to basically claim the throne. And there is a process by which folks do this. You basically claim the throne. You need people to support you. Then you go through some ceremony. And Yara claims the throne. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks that's ridiculous because she's a woman and that's never been done. And how can we do it? But Theon, who would probably have been first in line backs her claim. Yeah. And she starts getting some support. She does until <laughs> once again, Euron comes in and asserts himself by interrupting the party. Yep. And he claims the throne 
Then they put him through the ceremony well, well, where they drown him. Well, he, and he, he, he claims water. the he claims the throne, um, and they go up for a vote. And Yara makes the mistake of saying, "Oh, you killed my father," and he owns it. He's like, "Yeah, I did," because yeah. the old man was weak, and we can't have weakness. And that wins yeah. over the people of the Iron Islands. Like he, she plays right into his hands. You know, they're not about, they're not there for justice. They're there to be strong. And, yeah. and at the same time, this is the most democratic thing we've seen so far. They're actually voting. <laughs> well, sure. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even have that in my notes because I'm like, okay, what, what, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So on with the ceremony. So the ceremony. He drowns. He comes back to life. That apparently justifies his claim to the throne. Everybody's happy, except Yara and Theon, of course. They escape. Yeah, a small contingent of Iron Island folk escape with them, taking a couple of their fastest ships. And, uh, yeah. And that's the last we hear of them. Yes. Now, I will, I do think it's interesting that when Theon came back, they they drowned him because he had never been drowned. Um, and he, he recovered. So... Presuming that Euron had already done that once, he now had to do it again to prove that he was right, uh, capable and chosen to be the rightful king. And I, th- I believe when Theon went through it, they kind of helped him out. They're like, he, you know, he didn't, they just didn't throw him on the rocks. Whereas Euron, they just threw him on the rocks, said, well, if he survives, he's king. If he doesn't, then I guess we chose wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. Like it's pretty yeah. cutthroat. Like it's not, there's no goofing around with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, okay. I, I again, I'm trying to figure out the relevance of their story at all. Frankly, Theon's the only one that has had any real consequence in the story thus far. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, just wondering where this is going to go eventually. Oh. But that's it. That's all that we hear of them. So how about if we go up to uh, Castle Black? Is not much is really going on there and then as an offshoot from that we can talk a little bit about sam and gilly yeah so at castle black we have uh sansa again kind of like coming into her own demonstrating some some force and confronting littlefinger grilling him about what he knew of ramsey when he sold her off to him and uh, all of this is happening in Brienne's witness. And Littlefinger says, well, thank God you weren't harmed. And she exclaims, I am harmed. Yeah. And this is, I think, uh, this is in a rundown, abandoned building-ish in Molestown, which is this, you know, the little town just south of the wall. Oh, right. That's right. They're not at Castle Black now. They've left Castle Black. Because, you know, Peter obviously didn't want to go to Castle Black. Too much hostility there. So he tries to pull Sansa out of it, and he doesn't expect her to bring Brienne. And it's kind of a surprise when she walks in there with with Brienne, and Peter puts him back on 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 his heels. And this is Sansa really claiming her own. This is her growing up into her own. Although she's not there yet, she's definitely much further along than she was before. She's willing to challenge the the supposed authority of the people that helped her get where she is. Right. And remember, the last time Brienne was kind of standing up to Littlefinger, Sansa was sitting with Littlefinger. Right. Yep. I believe in the inn at the crossroad of the plot. Yes. <laughs> The inn at the plot road. Yes. The plot, <laughs> the plot crossroads. Yes. <laughs> um, so he, uh, he's basically there to offer the Knights of the Vale to help take Winterfell. And Sansa says, no, leave me alone. Just go away. <laughs> if I ever, if I ever see you again, I'm going to have you killed kind of thing. Yeah. So they're still on their way though. Uh, it's kind of moving away from uh, Castle Black, but then John is really going to kind of take off to 
get an army. Like they're, they need to go find an army. Yeah. And the idea is if the Umbers and the Karstarks are against them, they're with Ramsey. Then if they unite the rest of the houses and seek help from the Riverlands where, um, the Tollies have retaken River Run, um, then they will have enough of an army to stand against Ramsey, the Umbers and the Karstarks. In theory, Yes, sure. Maybe. I want to see how this goes. I'm just not confident this is going to go all that well. Also, sadly, John didn't actually cut his hair. He's just pulled it up into some sort of medieval man bun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how disappointed you must be. (laughs) I am, because I'm like, seriously, man buns were a thing there? Yeah, yeah, apparently they were. (laughs) Oh, man. Bad fashion in... All times. I just don't understand it. Uh, that is pretty much the last we see of them, though. But it's probably it probably makes sense after talking about them to jump over to what's been going on with Sam and Gilly. Yes. Sam and Gilly are, in, I, I call it, in a box on wheels, kind of <laughs> just like Varys and Tyrion were yeah. previously. A little bit less lavish. But they eventually arrive to meet Sam's mom. Mm -hmm. They have this awkward family dinner, and Gilly basically dresses his family down. Yes, and it's done. So they they arrive at Hornhill, and on the way, right before they they get there, uh, or Thornhill is Thornhill, I think. Hornhill. No, I was right the first time. See, too many names, Richard. Too many names. Too much names. Right right before they arrive, Sam tells Sam and Gilly have this conversation where Sam is basically saying, well, I haven't told them you're a wildling. I just told them that I met you in the north and this is my son and blah, 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 blah. Well, why can't they know that I'm a wildling? Well, because my father hates wildlings, you know, and and they kind of it kind of gives the premise for this dinner. And then they dress dress Gilly all up. She looks fabulous, actually, compared to this disheveled look she's had this entire time and they go to dinner and she says yeah when we were heading down to castle black they're like wait down to castle black where are you from and that's when things start going going wrong and (laughs) the mother and sister of sam storm out they're like this is dumb and everybody else leaves and basically he's just sitting there by himself with with his father and yeah it's not it's just not good it's not comfortable and he's basically big racist oh yeah oh yeah oh i thought this was an interesting scene because i frankly thought that she kind of she stood her ground Mm -hmm. and i liked that i frankly didn't expect that because that's not a lot of what we see from her we see her in we see her fearful and uncertain and lacking confidence. There's an interesting moment in here where she mentions something about, oh, well, this is, uh, it, it's easy to get the, these words confused. Uh, of course, I didn't know that before I knew how to read. So the other thing that's kind of, I think, an interesting parallel here is that she is becoming more educated. Mm-hmm. And that very well could be and very likely is not only just changing her view on the world a little bit, but also perhaps giving her some confidence. Yes. And keep in mind that when, when the attack started by Sam's father, he was attacking, he he started out by, by degrading Gilly, but then immediately turned over and started degrading and berating Sam. And that's when Gilly really stepped in. That's when Gilly steps in. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, this This is the man that's done all this for me. I'm not going to stand by and let his family do this to him. And it's just, it's a great evolution of the character of Gilly and their relationship. You know, and then towards the end, uh, Sam is prepared to leave because he's told he will leave in the morning. If he's ever seen again, he'll be killed. Uh, Gilly will be given a, a job in the kitchens. And uh, little Sam will be educated and and treated rightful as a bastard child of Horn Hill. Well, Sam goes to leave. 
Gilly throws out the whole, we were we were supposed to stay together. And Sam says, I can't. So he wa- walks out and it lasts about 10 seconds. He, <laughs> <laughs> he, he walks back in, says, we're leaving. And, and Gilly's, <laughs> Gilly, out of all this, she's worried about the dress she's wearing. Like, won't your sister miss it? Like, <laughs> Right, like no, it looks better on you anyway. And then they go, they take the take his father's sword, which is Valyrian right. steel. I'm sure that will come into play at another time. And off they go. They he leaves with G- Gilly and Little Sam. Yeah, and like deuces, we're out. Peace, heading to Old Town. <laughs> Thanks for the sword and the dress. Thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. I it it's the first time I think we've seen. Anything with any scene with Gilly in it that had any real consequence since at least like a season ago, it seems. Yeah. And and this is an important development for for Gilly, I feel, as well, because she's going to come up to some things later on that this confidence, this oomph that she's found will actually help her through. So. Okay. Yep. All right, so we basically have two other major storylines to run through. We have what might be going on with Marine and Daenerys, and what might be going on uh, back at King's Landing. King's Landing. I, I almost think like I, I think I want to end on King's Landing. Okay. So why don't we go back to Marine where? Uh, Actually, yeah, let's go back to Marine real quickly because we're only there for a moment. In a very weird and interesting scene, we see Tyrion meeting with some priestess of fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name's Kinvara, and she's the high priestess of the Red Temple of Volantis. So have we ever seen her before? We uh, believe we have, but only briefly, and it was like a throwaway, but I'm not sure. Um, okay. Yeah, but she did not recognize her at all. She's, and she's like the top really... red. She's like the top red, um, red priestess. She's she's yeah. it. She's the lady. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't really take a whole lot of out of out of their somewhat contentious conversation. What I did note here is that for the first time ever, I felt like someone, and it was her, managed to shut down Varys in conversation. Yes. Yes. Because he started doubting her and doubting her 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 God. And she started talking about the day that he was cut and became a eunuch. And she was like, well, I can tell you the words that he said. Would you like to hear the words? And Varys is like, no. Yeah, very, very interesting conversation. And uh, the only other thing that I took out of the scene was uh, that um, the the chandeliers that are in that throne room with the fire in them and the three tiers and everything, I want them. I want some of them in my home. They're really cool. Maybe not with fire, maybe with normal lights. And that's pretty much it for them. So yeah. the next portion of this story takes place in oh i already forgot the name of that place vestothrak very good vestothrak all right and so we have jora and daenerys and they're trying to don't forget, figure out their next move don't forget dario jora, what's that don't forget dario <laughs> and dario yeah dario whatever and and jora reveals his grayscale to Daenerys confesses yeah. his love to her and gets basically commits to leaving them behind and she will not let him go. Right. Um, th- this is a scene where she finally starts showing him some actual emotion. He finally confesses that he does love her, that it's not just a mentorship thing, you know? Um, and it really, comes down to I've I've sent you away and you come back. You betrayed me. I can't keep you. I can't send you away. What am I supposed to do with you? And that's when he shows the grayscale and is like, you have to send me away. 
I've done what I needed to do. And now, right. and now I'm, I, I know how this ends. Yep. She's like, nope. <laughs> she commands him to find the cure wherever it is in the world, to find the cure, get cured, and then return to her. And I forget, what did she compare that to? Finding her or something? As though you were able to find me or what, you know, whatever it was that he was yeah. able to do. And this is somehow equivalent to that. Yeah. It, 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 I don't remember it. So it must not have been too impactful. Uh- <laughs> it was just really quite bizarre. Um, so Jorah goes off and he's, he's off to do his thing. To apparently find a cure, because that's what he's been commanded to do. Right. Now, this is the same thing that Shireen had on her face, but mm-hmm. Shireen's not around any longer. Right. So, where will Jorah go, do you think? I have absolutely no idea. I have zero idea. Well, maybe not zero idea. I might think that he might go back to where he was infected, where there are lots of these people still men. try and figure out what's going on. <sighs> I was hoping you'd, you'd have the right answer. Um, because Is that the right answer? No, no. <laughs> it's oh, not. Okay. Well, you don't know that he doesn't go there, but he, I know where he ends up and it's exactly where I expected him to go. And I was hoping you were on the same train. Um, no, I'm not. No, clearly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and listeners, if you think you know where he goes, uh, emails at um, let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. Yeah, that's a good idea. You should do that anyway. Um, so, anyway, uh, uh, Danny and Dario go to head back to Marine with the Kalasar of 100,000. And they reach a. Yeah, a, uh, by, by the way, uh, represented in a scene with approximately 30 extras. This is probably (laughs) one of the most poorly executed mass um, kind of military movement scenes I've seen in a very long time on this show. Yeah. It's, it's almost like they, they had the extras there for the foreground and they were supposed to put in some CGI in the background and forgot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because all of the budget for this episode's special effects clearly went to the dragons, which she calls on and then uses uses them to kind of get everybody moving. Yeah. Uh, in particular, Drogon, she goes and climbs on his back. Well, she, she goes to leave and she says she'll be back to stay here and wait for her. And Dario is like, okay. And then after some time has passed, he goes to look for her, and as he goes to look for her, you see the, the ominous shadow of the dragon on the ground. And, yeah, pretty soon it comes and lands and looks looks at everybody, and she's sitting on his back, just chilling. Hey, how's it going? I mean, you know, kind of like any general would right. on the back of their animal when they're about to lead into <laughs> battle, right? <laughs> I can just see, I, I can just see an Air Force general arriving in an F twenty two, opening the canopy and start yelling at his troops like <laughs> just <laughs> that's, that's essentially how this felt and uh, yeah she she's basically she says uh, calls of the past have chosen three br- blood riders to ride with them through all the things that they go through. I'm not a call, so I don't have to follow his rules. I choose all of you as my blood riders. And of course, they all get pumped up. Oh, look, the lady that can't get burnt and rides dragons and has silver hair. She wants all of us to hang out with her. Cool. And that's kind of the end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one last storyline. And I I like, I want to end on this one. This is the storyline back in King's Landing. In King's Landing, and we have these stupid, annoying religious people, and they have managed to get the upper hand again. So, first off, we have a weird scene with Marjorie 
in my notes, I say, talking some nonsense to Tommen. <laughs> yes. Yes, essentially. Um, she's, she's either, either playing a new game and hasn't, hasn't got Tommen in on the, on finding his cursor or, um, or his little marker on the board, or she is just completely brainwashed by the sparrow, which we don't, we don't know because we haven't seen her except last time she just started talking to the sparrow for the first time. Right. So that's very, very strange. And I don't even think it's worth talking about anything more there necessarily. But the next thing we know in King's Landing, then Jamie basically has rallied the troops to go and collect Marjorie and Loras. Mm -hmm. And they arrive in force, demand Marjorie and Loras. But the Head Sparrow is a step ahead of them. Yes. And basically brings out King Tommen. So, well, so first of all says, sure, Marjorie has atoned for her sins and you may have her back. And then brings out King Tommen who stands, if I remember correctly, hand in hand with the head sparrow announcing to the people that the crown and the faith stand together. Yes. And I, the, the the most beautiful part about this is um, uh, Tyrell, the, the old man, Tyrell, the head of the head of the house. He looks at, um, at Lady Tyrell and is like, what is happening? <laughs> she, she says, right. he beat us, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing that makes this just kind of uh, so poignant, if you will, is that they basically had everyone there. Like they, they, I don't think Cersei's, yeah, Cersei's there, isn't she? No, not in that scene. She's, she's not, not in that scene? She's okay. Still, yeah, she's I, still I restricted. Remember. She's still restricted to the Red Keep. All right. But they, they basically, you know, bring everybody there. They're going to get their family back. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it's um, not going exactly the way they expect. And then Tommen. He strips Jamie of the position of in the Kingsguard because, as he says, an attack on the faith is an attack on the crown. Mm-hmm. And more or less banishes him. Yeah. Sends him back to uh, Casterly Rock. Hey, didn't that happen once before? <laughs> yeah, um, so he's supposed to help Walter Frey uh, recapture River Run since Walter Frey is in, in another story we really didn't talk about because it was completely pointless. Um, the Freys still have Catelyn's brother his wimpy little whiny brother. So they're going to try to regain oh, yeah. River Run by trading for that guy or whatever. Um, the Blackfish, which is Caitlin's uncle. Um, he's n- notorious and uh, for being uh, a great warrior or whatever. And he has taken re- retaken River Run. Well, now Jamie's supposed to go to help the phrase retake it. Um, yeah, he's going to, he, he wants to kill the High Sparrow with Braun. I um I wouldn't have a problem with that. No, <laughs> not so much. I wouldn't have a problem with that. No. So yeah, uh, ends on a rather sour note. So this isn't the end of that episode, as we mentioned. Uh, Danny's speech, then followed by her uh, 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 thirty extra army, uh, <laughs> basically going to uh, support her. That that is the ending scene. So the the episode ends on a higher note but this is what stuck with me like yeah. this is the story that stuck with me in this particular episode it, yeah it's one of those things that anytime you anytime Cersei is involved with something it's kind of you kind of have to pay attention because it's you never know what's going to happen um but now she's going to be without Jamie again and this time she sends him away she says no you have to go and complete your mission and here again you know, why do I care? These are not nice people. 
Right. Right. But you still care. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and frankly, that's good storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any uh, any any further thoughts on where we go next? Because uh, this is uh, as I as I keep saying this this story is just moving this chugging forward. There's not a lot of filler here. Yeah, it is. I thought these two episodes were a little bit slow compared to the last four that we have talked about. This right. seemed to just have a lot of develop sto- story development, perhaps without an enormous amount of movement. Yeah, it, it seemed very transitional, and I guess that's necessary. But I'll be excited to move on into the rest of this uh, I, season. I think it's I think it's funny how you say it's transitional and there wasn't a whole lot of movement in the episode when we find out the the origin of Hodor's name and how Hodor dies. Uh, we find out this entire episode at Horn Hill, this whole time at Horn Hill, all the whole, all the family drama and everything else for for Sam and Gilly, all that happened in these two episodes. You know, yeah. um, and, and all of this was the slow time. <laughs> like it's, right. It just compared yeah. to the other episodes. This seems slow. The Hodor thing was awesome, right? Like that, that is the takeaway from these two episodes, right. if you will. But uh, yeah. And, and frankly, I've kind of been bored with the whole brand storyline. Yes. And I don't know if it's because it's been dragging out for so long and then suddenly we're back with him and it seemed too long already the first time. Yeah. And now we're back with him and supposed to care and what's going on and, there. And keep in mind, he was gone the entirety of season four. Right. Or season five. <laughs> one of the two. Five. Yeah. Completely gone. He, the actor wasn't even on set. Never showed up. Never did a casting call for the entire season. Yeah. And it still seems too long. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. But it is so. it is the slow roll. It is someone trying to absorb the knowledge of all time and all places and all people into just a simple human mind. So it's like it's not it can't be a fast thing, but yeah, and I agree. It it does seem very slow. Well, maybe now that he has that knowledge, maybe things will go faster. Uh, it it does. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> all right. Well, that pretty much wraps up our recount of these two episodes, 605 and 606. Mm-hmm. We will be back with 607 and 608 next. And hopefully we will have Jenny back with us for that episode. It's been a little bit uh, of a crazy time for her. I know that uh, she's been doing a lot of projects and juggling a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and just, I think, moved her office or something like that. So lots going on, but We look forward to including her in our next discussion, and we want to include you in our next discussion, too. And we can do that by you sending us your feedback or thoughts to let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, so I'm I'm Amos. I'm Anthony. I'm Ethan Kane on the Twitter, E-T-H-A-N-C-A-I-N-E. Richard, you are? I am Richard Gunther, my actual name on Twitter. And that's R-I-C-H-A-R-D-G-U-N-T-H-E-R. What? And that's, I think, all you need to know about me this time. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this episode of Let's Talk About Thrones. Why?